All right, everybody, welcome back to the seventh episode of the Media Buyer's Manual. We are running without Adam, our co-host today. He's stuck in a meeting today. That's the old uh, marketing ways. That's how it happens. Uh, but we're, we're glad to be joined today by Nick. Um, Nick, just give us a brief intro of who you are, how you came into marketing, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, sounds great. So I'm, I'm Nick Kniper. I'm the founder and managing partner of Ecomly. We're a um, paid ads agency focusing strictly on e-commerce uh, companies. We've been working in the space since 2017. And just to give you a, a quick background on, on how I got to Ecomly. So mm-hmm. um, my, my journey in the paid ads and in the marketing space started actually about 10 years ago when I was in college. Uh, back in 2010, did a startup. Um, where we created an automated link building service. So oh, people nice. could come on and, and just enter their URL and the keywords they wanted to rank for. And this was in the early days of Google, right? When oh, yeah. people were just figuring out you can make money if you rank number one for like San Diego dentist. Yeah. So uh, we created this little software as a service. People could just enter their information and it blew up for almost a year um, until Google cracked down on it. But that was my first foray into into the, the online marketing space. I'm like, oh, wow, you can make money here. I made enough money to pay off my student loans, move to California. And I'm doing some freelance uh, SEO in California. And I come across this uh, uh, these group of guys and they're selling light-up clothing. Oh, shit. And yeah, and it, uh, it, it was my first foray into e-commerce and ended up becoming a partner with them and doing that for four years wild journey. We got up to like three and a half million dollars in sales in 2015. Nice. Uh, we got a big investment. Uh, we went on Shark Tank, didn't air, um, all sorts of wild stuff, but it was a great journey. Um, and that was really my MBA in e-commerce. Um, after that, I moved to New York City. I took a job running paid ads for Adore Me. They're the online competitor to Victoria's Secret. Okay. Um, so it was a great experience. I was spending about a million to $2 million a month on nice. Facebook ads. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it was, it was so much fun. And very quickly I realized, and I still had a lot of contacts in the e-commerce space. I'm like, and this is, this is early 2017. I'm like, there's a real need out there for e-commerce companies that are doing around a hundred, $200,000 a month. And they need that level of expertise, but they can't afford someone at 100k a year or they can't afford an agency that's you know 10k a month Mm -hmm. and that was when i came up with the idea for ecomly and i took over the next six months i got four or five uh freelance clients quit the day job took that full time um and then in late 2017 i hired um my first account manager uh hired another one shortly after in 2018 um, and then after that, we hired two creative managers. We wanted to really invest in the creative side of, yeah. of Facebook. In 2018, we're like, hey, okay, Facebook's getting a little smarter on this targeting you know, side of the business. We really need to be innovative on the creative side. Um, and so, yeah, we're a team of uh, five, including me, two account managers, two creative managers, and myself. Um, our, our client portfolio fluctuates between about 15 and 20. Nice. Um, and we've been in that range for about the past year and uh, just loving it every day. Get, uh, get exposed to so many different business models and, and entrepreneurs. And I mean, it's, it's, it's truly a, a blessing. I, I, I love this job. Awesome, man. I, I really like that. Like, um, so a little bit about like 
myself for everybody listening uh me and nick have actually never spoken before so first like, time yeah we're already best friends <laughs> you know we're just we're hitting it off <laughs> so you know like uh we're we're in a similar situation here at our agency we're a small team um like my co-host is actually one of the founders i work uh-huh. as, for them as like a social strategist and just an account manager as well so um i found as well like those small little teams are more nimble and usually um, I find that they care about people's money as if it's their own. And Very I've had much. bad experiences working at other agencies where like my mindset completely clashed with theirs of like, yeah, they gave us a budget of 200,000. We're spending it all. And I'm like, in my opinion, I've always been more um, you want the results. based. Yeah. I, I, w- I want to see somebody's bottom line actually move. And not just kind of, yeah, let's spend. So how have you Very kind of so. trained your account managers to kind of look at, and even how, how have you vetted them to kind of find the right account manager for you? Yeah, I think, I think part of it is just, you know, the grassroots or the foundation of your agency and, and, and the philosophy of your agency. So, I mean, for us, first of all, we're working with everyone on a direct response basis. So I think mm-hmm. that when you are entering you know, an engagement with a client and it's like, I'm here to produce results. If you're not producing results, you're not going to last long. Exactly. And, and we don't sign clients to any contracts. And that's a part of the reason why, uh, I mean, not any contracts, but like we don't sign them to like, Hey, you got to stay with us for six months. So you're on we a rolling contract. We tell them, we tell them in the intro call. It's like, Hey, if I can get you results in one to three months. I don't want to be working on this either. It's going to be miserable for me to be blowing your money yep. you know, and hopping on calls with you and coming up with an excuse every week. And I think that's why we close a lot of the clients. We're all referral based right now. But I mean, people know, like I, I tell them straight up, if we're not on track with our, with our strategy, then, you know, go find uh, another solution. And it's going to be no hard feelings, you know, towards us. And, um, that's worked out very well for us. And we have plenty of clients that have been with us for, you know, two years, three years, mm-hmm. um, cause we've built that relationship over time and, and, you know, they know how that we're going to, you know, ride the waves with them. But yeah, yeah. I also think that it's, it's, you know, cause we've taken over, there's plenty of big agencies out there that are, you know, great agencies, uh, and in our very results driven, but yep. there's definitely a lot of older agencies out there that I think have struggled with the transition or how fast you know, uh, paid media is, is transitioning online mm-hmm. and turning into results based because we've taken over from, from old agencies and, you know, you, you look at their reports and they don't even have conversions on their report. <laughs> and you're like, well, what are we, what are we doing here? You know, like, are we, are we trying to make money or not? So I think it's a little bit of like, a, um, you know, how old an agency is and what their philosophy is. But yeah, for mm-hmm. us, we're, we're super results driven. Um, you know, we're trying to get results. And then at the end of the day, if we're not, we we take pride in that. So if we're not getting results, we don't want to be working with them either. Exactly. And like you said, you, you brought up a really good point of, um, if you aren't getting them the results, you don't want to be locked in with somebody that it's just not working for both parties. It's going to reduce your morale. It's going to be miserable. Exactly. And I'm sure that you found that, um, clients are, more responsive to that because we also like we're like it seems like we're pretty much operating agencies similar way we're doing rolling contracts yep. same stuff if we are hitting your performance um unfortunately maybe you should just go somewhere else or maybe we just have to refine a different aspect of the funnel but that's where totally. it's like you you've probably seen it for yourself you have a great 
um, client relationship based on the fact that you're not tying somebody's hands behind their back. Exactly. I mean, what a lot of people don't talk about in the agency or the paid ad space, I mean, there's definitely good managers and there's bad managers, right? There's mm -hmm. people that have been doing this for years and they just understand how paid ads work. They understand how to move the needle on creative. Mm -hmm. What I've seen in my experience, we have a lot of clients come in, a lot of clients go, I would say 60, 70% of the game is the client's business model. It just yes. is. Like you can't take too much credit when there's crazy good results and you can't knock yourself when there's bad results because more often than not, when I see something not work out, it's just like, Hey, they, they can't get the conversion rates high enough or they have a very low AOV. I mean, I'm sure you've yeah. dealt with clients. You have oh, a super yeah. low AOV. You're threading a needle. Like I'll tell yep. them, I'm like, if your AOV is $30, we need to get you a $15 CPA for you to have a two row ads. And you can just look at the numbers, you know, like exactly. that's like, you need a high conversion rate to pull that off. You need to be in the 5% range and you have to have very engaging ads. And I mean, our best clients that we've worked with for, three plus years, they just have fantastic business models. They have great products. They have a great brand. They mm -hmm. have great creative. They really make our jobs easy. You know, we're, we're still putting in the work for sure. Yeah. But I know I'm, I, I, I don't have an ego with it. I know if they went to another good agency, they'd get similar results. They'd get pretty good results. And so I think as you touched, what really you have to do over the years is, is build a relationship with them. And one thing I've learned is to try to, uh, create some value that's outside of just straight, hey, I run ads for you. So a lot yeah. of my role now is I'm bouncing between 15 and 20 clients. And my account managers have more insight on like the day to day for a lot yeah. of these brands. But I'll come in, I'll be like, hey, I'm noticing a trend in this space or like a tactic that's working with a couple of our clients or here's a creative template we've been doing. You know, you should try mm. this out. Or hey, I think that we're trying stuff on the ad front, but where you're going to be able to move the needle the most is getting us some really good landing pages or yes. tweaking your offer. So like trying to provide them value a little bit outside of just our realm of expertise. Yeah. And, and I think um, when you kind of talk about having those good clients, those good clients are always willing to try those things that are not ad related, that are more of let's increase the bundle or the AOV via yep. a bundle. Let's try a different landing page. Let's yep. test these things. The best clients are always testing. I find, and those people, like, if nothing changes, nothing will change whatsoever. Yeah. So you got to always be willing to move it and try the different needles. Um, and now something I want to bring up as well is like, what kind of tools are you guys using for your agency? Um, do you guys have like um, specific tools for data and stuff like that? Or Yeah, I mean, we're, we're pretty lean, I would say, on, on the toolkit. So we use yeah. this uh, software called Dash This. I don't know if you're familiar with Ooh. it. It's it's nothing too crazy. And I've actually had some people recommend other tools that I think may be a little bit better because what's lacking with Dash this is you don't really get to see like the creative visuals super well Okay. on Facebook, but it's great for just aggregating Google ads and Facebook ads performance into a dashboard. And so just every morning at 930, I hop on with our two account managers and we just go straight through all of Dash. our clients and we just see, okay, what was yesterday's CPA and what's the seven day CPA. And it's just a quick scan to see, okay, Hey, it's everything down across the board. Yeah. And we know that's just, you know, that's just happening to everybody. Um, or we can pick out some red flags and be like, Hey, you know, client X is, is in the dumps for the past three days. We need to hone in on there. So we use Dash this for, um, daily reporting. And then we also use that for our weekly reports to our clients. So we hop mm. on a weekly call, we'll send them over a dash this and it has, you know, their seven day trends and yeah. 
all of that jazz. But, you know, sometimes I even wonder, I'm like, how much do the clients even look at the reports <laughs> and look at the monster email we send them? I think a lot of the value is just hopping on the call and talking to them and sharing the numbers. I think they read the top line. Yeah, you know, they no, read the they'll read line. the first paragraph and then from there yeah. they're waiting for what your breakdown and analysis is. Exactly. They want to just see that you're putting in the work. You're doing the <laughs> analysis. Um, so we use that. We use Slack um, to do all of our communication. We have a lot of shared Slack channels yeah. um, with our clients. And then um, I guess uh, it, it's sort of a, a software, but we use Upwork for a lot of our graphic design and, and oh, graphic yeah. freelancers. Yeah, so the creative managers, uh, we basically put in ad requests into a Trello dashboard. And then they'll be like, okay, we need to create a new video ad with like customer review overlays, you know, flashing on okay, top yeah. of the product. They'll take that, they'll go to the client's website, they'll pick the reviews and stuff like that. Then they'll go over to Upwork and work with like, we have I think four or five freelancers um, and they'll, they'll see which one's available and they'll queue up and start getting that creative rolling. Awesome. And for us, that's been really leverageable because I mean, one thing, you know, is working in agency at the end of the day, you're, you're leveraging human labor. I mean, you yeah. can, you can say you got all sorts of fancy stuff going on, but you're really leveraging human labor. And for us, when you're going up and down with clients in, in, in creative work can fluctuate up and down as yeah. well. You know, like you're going yeah. into black Friday you got a ton of ads you need. To All four are pumping out ads for you. Exactly. Um, and so like uh, Upwork allows us to fluctuate the labor levels up and down. Like sometimes yeah. our bill is $3,000 for a week. Sometimes it's 800 for a week um, or, or even less. Yeah. And so as opposed to having like a designer on staff that's worth, you know, that costs us 70 or 80 grand, uh, this allows us to like scale up past the work of one designer and scale below when we need to. So it's, it's good on the cost. It's actually very smart. Cause like, yeah, we, we have a designer in house, love them. Uh, but it's also another great way to go about it. Just like, yeah, cause that guy Facebook could get ads, overloaded right? exactly. could get overloaded and not have enough time in the day on Upwork. You can just be like, okay, let's tap, you know, now the downside is on, if you have like a team of freelancers, sometimes you get a varying degree of quality of work, you know, true. Like you got one person that, you wish you could hire full time and then, you know, two that are okay. And one's like, man, we're Pick only pulling up. you on the team when, when, when we're tapping into the injured reserve. Yeah. And he's getting the, the low quality ones anyways. Yeah. He's, he's cranking out just the, the image overlays. <laughs> you know. He's doing the thumbnails for you. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, that's, that's actually great to know. Um, and then something else that we kind of want to go over as well, when you're first uh, taking over an account, as the agency, what are yeah. the first couple things that you're looking for? Is it good creative? Are you looking for what their kind of conversion rate is on their site? Like what's, what, yeah. what are some things you're looking for? Yeah. So I think I put clients generally in two buckets when we engage with them. One is whether they have an existing funnel. Like, so if someone's doing a hundred thousand dollars a month and we're taking over an account, they're already spending $500 a day yeah. on Facebook, we'll put them in one bucket, but we get plenty of clients and they're doing maybe 30,000 a month or 50,000 a month. And this is their first time running ads. Uh, or we have plenty of clients where they're, you know, super big in the retail space. They're like a CPG, maybe they're a drink or something like that. Mm -hmm. So they have a lot of retail sales and they're coming to us to build their online presence. And we really put them into two buckets because if someone's already validated, like, Hey, I have a funnel that's generating a hundred thousand dollars a month. I've been running paid ads. Um, then really what, when we're hopping in, we're doing a quick scan to see like, is there any major opportunities on the targeting front? 
And is there any major opportunities on the creative front? Mm -hmm. And then is there any major opportunities on uh, the landing page front? And usually for us, what we see um, it, where we'll move in first is generally the, the creative targeting over the years. I mean, most people know how to get a, a decent level of targeting set up. Yeah. And I mean, sure, we have structures and we have tactics we can do. But a lot of times we see someone and they, they have all of the pieces, but like they are just, the creative's not in the right format. I can't name the amount of times, like you see someone, they're running a video ad and it's horizontal and you're like, I can chop this four by five and, and probably double the results, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and then with the, the newer clients that are really getting their funnel up and running, that's, that's when we're more in like the testing phase. So that's when I really hit them with like, I like to do things in buckets of twos to three. So I say, essentially what we're going to do. And when I, I tell these newer clients, I say, it's probably going to take one to three months for us to get you an established funnel, one on the fast side, three on the low side, where then we can have the conversation about scale. Mm -hmm. And so I say, what we're going to be doing is every seven to 10 days, we're going to be putting two to three new ads in to test. And those will be based on our previous learnings. And then every seven to 10 days, we're going to do two to three different types of targeting. And while we're doing this, we're going to be working with you to improve and beef up your website. I mean, a lot of these people, like they have all of the pieces, but then you go to their website, like they don't even have customer reviews set up. They don't yeah. have Yacht, Poe, or Judge.me. And you're just like, look, like you're early on. You need to get this installed now because when you have 250 reviews on your website and you're converting at double what you are now, yeah. you're going to thank me. And then we're going to take those reviews and we're going to make ads with them. We're going to put, we're going to put them in text overlays. We're going to put them in the ad copy. Um, so a little bit of coaching like that just to get their website side going. Um, and I'd say we have a pretty healthy mix of those, of those two different clients, people that are like really trying to ramp up and then, and then people that are just getting started. Hmm. Okay. So when you're first kind of making those creatives, um, are you, you're just plain testing video and images against each other, or are you going off based off of, um, kind of what's worked previously for them and then just kind of making your iterations from there? Yeah, I'd say we we more go off of what's been working with us. Okay. So we call our, we, we call them internally like creative templates mm -hmm. and essentially we'll have um, some tactic that we're doing and it'll be working well across the board and we'll go in with a new or existing client and we'll be like, okay, we're going to use this template, this template, this template. And it's usually based on the creatives that they're giving us, right? Yeah. Do they have a lot of UGC video? That's going to change what we can and can't do. Do they have True. mostly images? So we work with a lot of companies and they only have mostly images out of the bat. So what can you do with that? Really, it's going to be a lot of, you know, text overlays, call to actions yeah. above a product image, um, a customer review above a product image. One, one tactic that I'll that I'll share with uh, you and your audience that, that we've been working on that we've been finding a lot of success with is uh, embedding a video and then wrapping it around with like a static image. Oh. Um, so like imagine that your client has just like a cool one to two minute video about their product, right? Yep. The problem is sometimes when you throw that on Facebook, it just doesn't have enough of a framing to make people know like, you need to go buy this now. They're like, oh, yeah. this is a cool video, but they're not getting like that full, like this is an e-commerce product, come buy it. Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll have that video running and then we'll wrap around it um, an image and have like a call to action up top and maybe a picture of the product and then like a deal. And it creates this really cool effect where you have motion and you have the video going and they can learn about the story, but it's, it's like framed, it's embedded in this 
in this like There's, very direct response driven image. That's what, yeah, that's actually very cool. So you have the video going and then essentially you have stills that are saying, this is what the yes. product is. This is the image and this is your call to action. Exactly. And so um, that's a, and then, so we'll have, we have like a couple of different versions of that template and essentially to get that going, you just need one video and usually the client has one video that At they least, can pull yeah. out. Yeah, shit. It could be them on a podcast. You just say like, I need some motion, you know, something that moves. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so stuff like that has, has worked very well for us. Um, and yeah, I mean, sometimes it is based off of what's just working with an existing account. Like I'm very much a fan of if it's not broken, you know, don't fix it. Same here, man. Same yeah. here. So There's we have no a need to clients. create unnecessary work. It, it really, it's true. I mean, and, and then unnecessary work that tanks performance because then that's creating necessary work that you yeah. have, to go, have to go and do on top of it. So, um, I mean, one of our clients, we don't do creative for them just because mm -hmm. they, I mean, we write the ad copy, but they just produce bomb creative. Yep. And it's just like, you have to not have an ego. I'm just like, we can't do better than this. We're going to run their creative and it's worked fantastic. I mean, this is one of those outlier accounts. We've been working with them for three years. They average like a nine row as, oh, and that's not normal. You know what I mean? And no, yeah. that's one of those clients where I'm not taking credit for it. It's their business model. It's their creative it's their price point, frankly. Yeah. Like you can't get a nine ROAS unless your AOV is in the hundreds. That's true. Very just yeah. pretty much impossible. I mean, sometimes yeah. you can do it, but it needs to be a hundred plus. So um, that's one of those clients where it's just like, we're not going to touch it. And we're very much on the targeting side, big picture strategic side. Here's yeah. some things that we need to do. We're helping them. One thing I think is really under talked about is knowing when to spend and not to spend, right? Yes. You can really save your client thousands of dollars or even tens of thousands of dollars over, over a year if you just know, hey, like we need to just pull the brakes right now. Yes. Um, like this past few days has been pretty brutal for some of our clients. Um, something must have been in the water for Memorial Day. It's <laughs> uh, always how it goes, it feels, right? It's so true. And it just, you know, the Memorial Day hangover or whatever you want to call it like it's yeah. just for some of these clients we're just like hey it's it it's just an ecosystem thing we need to pull back the ad spend and mm -hmm. if you have a client that's spending you know twenty thousand dollars a week and you cut it down to ten thousand dollars a week you, you could be saving them thousands of dollars and for yeah. a lot of small businesses that's going into their pocket and they'll remember that exactly and um i think something that's really key is like if you're having a bad like i find in my accounts i do the the wave method or the surfing method. Yeah. Where if I'm having a good day, I'm going to crank budgets and we're yep. going to, we're going to ride that wave of Facebook's um, pretty much algorithm. Yeah. And I've, I found a lot of people that use this method. Um, if you're having a shit day and it's 12 o'clock in the afternoon, pull back spend. Like there's no harm in save. Like you said, saving maybe $500 a day and then that's going to add up. And then your client is going to be so much happier yeah. Because they, they're seeing you treat their money as if it's yours. Yeah. And what I love about that method, it's, it's similar to a lot of areas in life where it's basically like double down on your success yep. and pull back when you're not seeing it. I think too many people take Facebook's best practices like it's the word of God, Ooh, like it's like the it's Bible. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm just being honest. It's, it's not. You know, it's not like, I know Gil was, I, I was listening to his episode recently just to get yeah. refreshed. And he said something about uh, how they say you need 50 conversions a week. And a year ago is 20. You don't need 50 conversions a week. I had a client, I had an account manager 
on a call, a Facebook rep, tell me to pause the campaign because it didn't have 50 conversions a week. And I said, okay, on the call, because I'm not combative, but yeah. the CPA was 40% lower than the ones that we wanted to run. It's just like, you know, I'm going to go a off. Chance. Of, exactly. So, I mean, a lot of people are like, Hey, you shouldn't be pausing or changing like ad spends throughout the day. Cause you're resetting learnings. You're not resetting learnings. Like they're telling you that, but I guarantee you, you can adjust ad spend and it's not going to go to crap. I mean, I have a client right now at a very high spend level. They were killing it over the past couple of months. Mm -hmm. um, and now it's like coming back to earth a little bit, but we noticed we were getting some really abysmal uh, performance from midnight to 7 a.m. So I'm just shutting it off at night and turning it back on in the morning. Yep. And it's not like I'm resetting everything and starting from scratch every time I do that. Like the, the campaigns are kicking up, they're running, they're working fine. Creative will do the heavy lifting, the targeting's there. Like that, yeah. I found, so I have one account um, where we spend a, I'd say probably 200,000 a month on Facebook. That's awesome. Yeah. So with these guys, we got a new agency rep <laughs> thought he was awesome. Yeah. And then a couple suggestions. And he told you to optimize your traffic. Oh, <laughs> dude, I, I was losing my mind in my head and I was just like, okay, no, and, no, and no, And the worst no. part is if the client's on the call too, because then you're having to play this like, weird game where like you're a puppeteer you don't wanna, exactly you don't want to disrespect the guy but you're also like in the dms like hey we shouldn't do what this guy's saying yeah because grain of salt grain of salt yeah. right here yeah so exactly. yeah so what i'm saying is like essentially we had this rep he said okay guys we were doing everything on uh custom conversions yep so he's like okay like you guys should try to do more of just standard conversion events go for the purchases um and and from there facebook can pull the data from everybody's uh, purchase events and all that stuff. I'm like, yeah. okay, well and dandy. Let's try it out. We'll, we'll run a test. What people forget to mention is that if you're like, we built this account from the ground up, we worked with them since day one. So if you have all this, like two years of data and it has been getting fed custom events, you should most likely keep rocking those custom events because yeah. your whole account data is built towards that. Everything that it's been feeding Facebook has been custom conversions. I ran a test. I shit you not. I went from probably $40 uh, CPAs to, I would say, $230 CPAs yeah. in, in probably just a matter of 12 hours. And I was just like, holy Hannah, we got to turn all these things off. Oh, yeah. Just this guy just completely gave me false information. So anybody that's listening to this, Facebook best practices, take them with the grain of salt. They're broad strokes. They're broad strokes. Yes. Like, like weigh them, test them in like a little small thing on the side. But like, I mean, it make, here's the thing, like, cause you can, a lot of these things you can just think about like, like, like logically, which is why, how, why would Facebook magically create a, like, a, or, or treat a standard conversion versus a custom conversion any differently? Yeah. At the end of the day, it's just a conversion. It's just a data point. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yes, like purchase data could have a number of value coming across. And sure, Facebook can do some optimization where maybe it tries to go after people that have a yeah. higher AOV. But just because it has a purchase pixel fire and a dollar value attached to it, it doesn't all of a sudden open up this magical ecosystem right. where like performance is, you know. Magically gets so much better. Just not going to work that way. But um, yeah, I mean, that's a lot of times when you have people that they're just reading from a playbook. Um, but you're in the meat of it, man. And you have to answer for the $400. CPA yeah. The $200. CPA. No, exactly. Not him. You'll get a new, uh, a new client assigned next quarter. <laughs> so, yeah. So like uh, based on that conversation though, what are some things that you go against the grain for Facebook best practices then that you kind of do want to yeah. 
regular yeah. basis. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things too, that I've had to learn, especially having account managers and I haven't mentioned this, they're both my brothers, um, got them, got them in, uh, early on. And I mean, they just scaled up and, and learned and we speak the same le- language. So, um, it's great and they're fantastic, but I've had to learn that everybody's going to have a different style. Um, and there's no absolutes. So my, my one brother, Jack, he hates CBO and I don't really like CBO that much either, but mm-hmm. my other brother, Eli, he likes CBO and he runs CBO and it has good results on multiple of his clients and he goes for it. Uh, but like I was in the camp at one point in time, I wanted to print like t-shirts, like I'll never go full CBO. <laughs> uh, Cause they kept saying like, we're going to make it CBO. And I'm like, no, you're not. Because here's the thing. You can't make me do CBO. I'll just break out all of the ad sets into their own campaigns. Exactly. Like, I, I won't do, there's no way you can force me to do CBO. <laughs> You'll make it more annoying for me. So, I mean, that's just one of the, the things like, you know, CBO, it, it, it makes sense and it can work in a lot of situations, but in a lot of situations, I want that manual control. I want me to too. be able to pump up a good ad set. I want to be able to pause the bad ad set. And I always am a little bit skeptical when you hand over more control to the, the, the fa- Facebook or Google or TikTok or whatever, mm-hmm. because yes, in a general sense, they're going to act in your best interest, but also they're beholden to their shareholders first and foremost. Yes. So their number Money one talks. thing is more ad spend. Exactly. So you'll see some weird things in CBO when it's like you should be spending way more money here, but you're mm-hmm. spending way more money here. And the only reason why you're spending more money here is because the click-through rate's higher. But I'm not optimizing for click-through rate. I'm optimizing for conversions, but you like a high click-through rate because you make a higher CPM. You make more money. Like, so it's stuff like that. Um, uh, another one is smart shopping. It's so funny because people think smart shopping is smart shopping. It's the dumbest kind of shopping ever. I ran numbers. Sometimes 40% of smart shopping ad spend is display retargeting. It's not even shopping. What Ooh. Google did is, yeah, Google said smart shopping, black box, like just put money and then people run it and they're like, wow, my ROAS improves. Your ROAS improves because they're pixeling every single one of your retargeting audience <laughs> with these display ads. So that's another example where you give them a little bit more control. It's black box and you're like smart shopping. That sounds great. And when I run it, my ROAS is higher. But then when you like really look into it, you're like, okay, 40% of this volume is display retargeting. And I mean, sometimes that's still the net good. Like mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's bad, but I think it's things like that where I go a little bit against the grain. Yeah. Um, especially on, uh, on Facebook, the reset learning stuff. I just don't buy I don't, that. I don't play by that whatsoever. I have a yeah. lot of times where I'm doing the classic, yeah, we're turning this on. Like you said earlier, turn this on, turn it off, turn it on. It's fine. Yeah. Like those kind of things. I, I'm just not. Yeah. You have to think about is what is the benefit for Facebook to just hard reset something? Because if they hard reset something, performance will go to complete crap. That's not good for them. That's not good for you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's one of those things where it's almost like they were putting, you know, if you go bowling, you know, yeah, you can get the bumpers on the side. Yeah. That kind of stuff is like bumpers on the side where they're, where they're keeping amateurs and newbies from like just, you know, literally resetting stuff every 30 minutes, you know? Yeah. And then, but then some people take it too far. The power five stuff, I don't like necessarily hate. Like, I think it's, it's good. And I know plenty of people that like run it like very well, mm-hmm. but like, I'm once again, like I'll test it on an account to account basis. Like, yes. and, and it's funny. I have people at the end of the day, all I care about results. My brother, Eli, he likes, he's run some dynamic creative tests and it's worked out fantastic. My brother, Jackie's just like, 
I don't like that because he wants to be able to pull out the winning one and duplicate it across eight ad sets. Yeah. And he can't do it because it's like embedded in that weird, you know, yeah, like dynamic thing. Hard so, to touch there. Yeah. So I'm, I'm all about like, I just ebb and flow with the results. I don't love anything in particular. I don't hate anything in particular, but I definitely don't just like buy the straight up, like this works like CBO. I got to <laughs> switch everything over to CBO. And how funny is it that now they said it's no longer required. They were oh, like, my Atlanta. I was laughing so hard that comes out. I'm just like, yeah. I, 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 I was smiling because yeah. like you, I'm a big ad set budget guy. I like to have that. Especially if you're doing control. the surf. Yeah. Like the surf method, you can't crank up a budget in CBO. Like exactly. That. So I've had one time where I cranked a budget uh, to probably like uh, $2,000 in a day. And all of a sudden I went from my $40 CAC and then it's spent on one, like you said, with higher click-through rate. I'm not fucking optimizing for that. Yeah. I'm optimizing for sales. Yes. And um, at the end of the day, an ad buyer typically will be smarter than Facebook's algorithm at some points. Not everything. Yeah, because also you got to think that Facebook's algorithm optimizes for the macro. And yes. you, as an ad buyer, you're, the you're micro. optimizing for the individual, the micro, exactly. So there's going to be times when that macro level optimization is better than what we can do, but there's times when our micro understanding of the business model, the product, how things work in this specific account is going to outweigh that. Else we wouldn't have a job right now. Exactly. Be, be Facebook and a bunch of designers. If and, machine uh, learning really was coming for our jobs, we would have been out by now. Remember in 2016, they told us that we were going to all be driving self-driving cars by 2017. It's 20, <laughs> 2020 and all we got is like Tesla and you got to put your hand on the steering wheel every 15 seconds. So, you know, I think that machine learning is learning a little bit slower than, than some people want to. I, I, I fucking agree with you there. All right. So I got to go take a question from uh, Matt lady here. So he was, uh, he called out one of your pinned tweets there um, about how you save the clothing brand, some domestic shipping and international shipping. So he wanted to know how he can save some money for logistics and shipping and all that kind of stuff. How are you able to do that essentially? Yeah, so that's actually a, a, a new wing of Ecomly, um, a service that we're building out. Awesome. Um, that's, that's run by my partner, uh, Matt Powell. Uh, he's a genius on the logistical operations side. Um, his day job, he's, he's running the, the warehouse and logistics and operations for a $40 million a year e-commerce company. And nice. He worked with them from the beginning all the way up. And they're very much on KPIs. He's been able to do wild things like increase their volume by double and also decrease their operating costs. And like one of the big things that he focuses on is renegotiating shipping contracts. And so that's what that service is. Mm -hmm. And many people out there don't even know that you can do that. They don't even know that you can go to FedEx and you can renegotiate those rates. You can go to UPS. I didn't either. I was yeah. like, okay, that's the price. That's how much it costs to ship here, right? Yeah. Um, and so what he does is he comes in and he knows, okay, like this is the size of your package. This is the speed that you need to get to customers. These are the different zones that you're hitting. And he can go in and renegotiate your contract and, and play UPS and FedEx off of each other. And, and then usually save you like 20 or 30% on your rates. And nice. for, yeah. And so for some business models, I mean, that's a big difference. I mean, it's make a break. Yeah. I mean, and that's just money right back in the, in the owner's pocket. Mm -hmm. And, um, we don't take any money up front with that. We get 20 to 30% of the savings. So if we don't save you any money, if we can't renegotiate the contract, nothing really happens. Mm -hmm. Now with this whole lockdown thing, FedEx and UPS haven't been as, as lenient. 
as open to renegotiating their contracts because you don't need to renegotiate contracts when your demand is double in a month. Yes. No, uh, yeah. But now that we're coming back out of that, we're, we're fully expecting Bielva to, um, you know, start renegotiating those again. So I can put them in touch with uh, my partner if he wants to. And then also just in a broad stroke advice thing is like, know that you can renegotiate your shipping contracts. You can go to FedEx, you can go to UPS. And a lot of times they have all sorts of little like hidden fees that they're hitting you with. Mm-hmm. Like they're letting you ship a certain method, but then they're hitting you with like a 10% overweight surcharge on that shipping method. Oh. And all you need to do is ship a different method and not get hit with that. And you'll save 10, 15%. So um, I don't really know the whole, he's the wizard of the logistics <laughs> side. I let him go. Um, that, that client that I told you they've been working with for three years and has the great ROAS, he actually just closed their contract. He saved them like 25 or 30%. They ship some bulky stuff and they're almost a $10 million a year company. So, I mean, I think the savings are going to be like six figures a year. So, and that, and that literally can go right back into reinvesting for more stock, whatever it may be charges for stuff. Yeah. Like that's, that's it's a competitive advantage too. Imagine that you have an identical competitor, but you're paying 30% less for shipping. Like I'm a big believer that, you know, unless you have a huge moat over like a three to five year horizon for the brands in e-commerce, you really win by like death by a thousand cuts. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't win it. You have to be 1% better in, so than your true, competitor though. in like so many different areas. And especially if you have these hidden advantages because your shipping costs isn't something that your competitor can just come to your website. They can come to your website. They can copy your design. They can copy how you shoot your videos. They can probably find your supplier in China and copy yeah. your product, but they can't copy some of this like hidden backend processes or, or cost structures. Damn. No, yeah, that's actually one of the ways you can really differentiate yourself. And from there, you can even use the old method of, I'm going to outspend my competitors for acquiring By 30%. customers. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And then you squeeze them out on the acquisition side. Exactly. And the next thing you know, you got market share. Damn. Yeah, and then you're a monopoly and then... You become a billionaire, right? That's how Pass go, collect 200. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I got a question myself here. Yeah. Um, so this is about investing. You're, you have some great investing tweets. I love them. What are some traits that you look for when you're going to make some of your investments in like tech and stuff like that? Yeah. So, I mean, like full disclosure, I, I started investing in, in 2016 and I very stupidly got hooked on options trading because options trading, you can like theoretically make bank. Yeah. You can also lose bank. Bank. And yeah. I mean, so like 2016, I, I, I went long on GoPro of like in 2016, you could have picked like any stock <laughs> and you would be up 50% now. And I picked GoPro out of any of the stocks and I lost like a few grand in 2017. I lost a few grand 2018. I broke even. Over time now, I've developed my strategy, which is for the most part, just going long. And I really like tech stocks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I whittle in now a little bit of options trading to, to get like highly leveraged plays. Like for example, I have a 2022 call option on Slack at like $35. Um, yeah, and it's already doubled. But if Slack goes to 90, that option value will go from like 1000 to like 6,000. Um, yeah. But I mean, I've, I've definitely, and there's, there's a lot of great people on Twitter that you can follow that just have, you know, that do a lot of research and have, have, have good value, um, advice. But 
I mean, I have a passive portfolio and my passive portfolio just pulls, it's my 401k and it just pulls money out every month. And I have that set very conservative. I use this tool called M1 Finance and it's mm. awesome because you can set a pie and then like percentages of the pie of what you want to invest in. Oh. Uh, and then just, it will automatically like rebuy those, those little shares. So That's really cool. I have that set up. I have like 30% going into NASDAQ, like 20% going into the S&P, 10% into Facebook, 10% into Shopify, and then like the rest into, um, you know, like a, a basket of stocks. Um, I really like the tech side. I think the whole world's changing and you can see that just with what happened with the lockdown and everything like yeah. that. I mean, it was kind of brutal retail companies just got destroyed and tech companies thrive through it. Shopify. Shopify destroyed it. I mean, it's insane, but I mean, I own shares of, you know, let me pull up my, my Robin hood right now. <laughs> and in terms of, uh, kind of, do you think Shopify will have uh, a meaningful competitor? That's a really great question. I really don't think so. Um, I think what's more likely is that we see some sort of like social media fragmentation, right? Like where there's, mm -hmm. there's one Facebook, there's one Twitter, there's one TikTok, you know, yeah. there's one Instagram. I could see us having, you know, something like that where there's different, but you already kind of have that. You have Shopify and you have Wix, right? You have yeah, Squarespace, um, you know, so, but I really think that Shopify, they've just built such a strong network effect that, I, I just, I don't really don't think someone can really come in and do it better. What, what could someone do that would pull you away? From yeah, Shopify? No, exactly. Cause like, I think a big thing of Shopify is having those third party apps. Exactly. Those things just make or break. Um, uh, and those kind of, um, iterations I have a client, have a client not on Shopify. Every time I get a client not on Shopify, I just get like a little like shitters. Cause I'm like, <laughs> what's, what's going to happen? And literally for 45 days now, we've been trying to get, the Facebook dynamic product feed to be able to run like DPA and we're just having all these issues, but like, it's like with Shopify, you literally install an app Button. 10 minutes, you got your feed set up and you're good to go. Um, yeah. So they're, they're third party systems, super embedded and they're doing the fulfillment stuff. They have like, you can just, they'll process credit cards for you right away. So like if I'm starting, I would, I would start on Shopify now. Like I, I don't think anyone can really come in. I mean, what are they going to do? Like try to beat them on price? How can you beat them on price and then have better <laughs> value? You can't. So, That's so true. Um, yeah, I think it's more like Shopify is probably more competing with Amazon. Um, I was thinking that too, because like yeah. Amazon, it's pretty much controls the whole marketplace. They can kind of essentially take over people's products, which is the wild thing. And that's the thing is people don't really like Amazon and people like Shopify. Very few people, like very few uh, DTC brands I know have a bad taste in their mouth about Shopify. Oh my! More than 50% have a bad taste in their mouth when it comes to Amazon. I work with a coffee company right now and they do Amazon ads. And my whole pitch to them landing them out as a client was, we're going to try to help you wean off of Amazon. Great we're not going to, we're not going to help you kind of completely take it away right away because Amazon still has value. But at the same time, like I, I said to uh, her right away, I'm like, look in the terms and conditions that you, you read, read, you check that box. <laughs> yeah. And then the fourth pair, I think is the fourth paragraph is like, they have the right to source your, your um, supplier and cut your price and pretty much exclude you from the market share. And then crazy. she was just like, oh, well, I didn't really know that. I'm like, all right, so what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to build up your subscription services. We'll yep. take everything back to you. You own your brand. We want that. 
And honestly, I think there's a massive market there. If I was like restarting economy from scratch right now, because we've had two clients in the past year come from being just pure play Amazon, mm-hmm. um, like sold on Amazon, and then they were building and launching their Shopify store, which is super interesting because you could have a company that's doing like a couple million dollars a year, but like they don't have a customer list to build like a lookalike audience off of. Like you're almost Dude, starting wild. from scratch. In like a certain set. It really is. And so if I was starting like a new agency, I would just be finding million dollar a year Amazon only businesses because you know, in the back of their head, they're like, Jeff they Bezos keep is going to fuck me. Jeff yeah. Bezos is going to fuck me. I it's need so to true. diversify, but like they don't know what to do because they've, their whole business model, they've been built in Amazon. So if you had a service where you're like, Hey, we can five grand, we're going to build your Shopify store and we know how to run ads for you. Cause a lot of these people, they have such a low cost structure, expense structure. Like mm-hmm. you can run by yourself. You can run an Amazon store that does a couple million dollars a year. Yeah. I've so seen a few have people a on Twitter do that. And I'm like, Holy crap. Like oh, one yeah. man show. You just have your Chinese supplier uh, ship it straight to the Amazon warehouse. So then at that point in time, you're just, you know, managing listings, manage, and there's tools for all of that. There's tools to manage your Shopify reviews or uh, Amazon reviews and all of that. So I'd be pitching those people. I'd be like, Hey, here, you know, 5k up front plus 2k a month. Let's, let's get you off of Jeff Bezos's back and let you be a free man or woman. Well, there we go. Maybe I'll have to have some new pitches going out from loom videos. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it's already working for you. So you do the, you do the loom pitch. I've yeah, actually talked to I actually have that. found that to be so nice. So I used to do sales on an agency. It sucked. I was cold calling. I had no list or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of transitioned back and doing the marketing aspect and then at this agency, since we're a small boutique uh, agency, the guy was just like, Hey, uh, do you want to do some sales you've done in the past? I'm like, I'm not cold calling. He's like, yeah. well, I've got a thing for you. Um, you know, Jeremy Haynes, I'm sure from, yeah, that guy, so he had his course, blah, 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 and he's like, all right, we're doing the video pitches. This is your script. Pump this out. Literally, it's the easiest script ever. Hi, my name's Kevin. I'm from Client Magnet in Toronto. Yeah. I'm literally going to go into your ads on Ads Library and on your website, and in two minutes, we're going to have a little um, dissection of what we think we could do to help you, and if you want to hop on a call later, by all means, we can do that. If I not- I love that. I love that. And that's so funny. Like I had a, uh, one of my clients uh, introduced us to their email marketing agency mm-hmm. and there are a couple of guys up in Toronto too. You guys would probably get along. And he, they, they were saying that they do the same tactic with like the loom videos. I'm like, that's so smart. Cause it, it takes the guard down completely. Like if someone's trying to like cold, get me on a call, 0% chance I'm popping on. You exactly. send me a loom, you send me a loom, probably 75% chance. I'll watch that video. Three minutes of your time. Wow me a little bit. Like I'm going to hop in. We, we may have to start using that because uh, we, we've been 100% referral based for like three years. And then when uh, the COVID lockdown came, I mean, it was brutal. We lost like 30% of our clients yeah. in 30 days. I remember one day just like shutting off the computer at the end of the day and just like looking up and I was just like, Fuck. Yeah, I mean, but we're, I was like, at the end of the day, we're lucky that we're not a restaurant where yep. our revenue went to zero. Like mm-hmm. we can take a 30% hit and a couple of those clients have come back and we got a couple of new clients. We're doing fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but being all referral based, you're not really in control of when the leads come. It can be feast or famine. You get exactly three leads coming in in one month and they all convert. And then two months, it could be dry. So we started trying to experiment with doing our own lead gen and we were just cold emailing and just wasn't hitting. Yeah. Like I, I hate cold emailing. I like to be that guy that's if my cold email is longer than a paragraph, I know you're not fucking reading it. And that's, and that's, ours were like four paragraphs. (laughs) (laughs) So like my whole thing is like, I'm going to shoot my intro 
And then pretty much the first line of my email is, I'm Kevin, I'm from uh, Client Magnet or whatever agency. This is a value add to you. If you wanna watch it, it's up to you. It's three minutes of your time and you can reach out to me at your convenience there. Love it. So like from there, I, I found a lot of success with this. And if you can literally just source, like you said, people that are doing five to $10,000 on Facebook already, and you know that you can help them scale further and you can kind of just give them two to three quick wins. They probably don't even know how to implement those wins. That's what everybody forgets. You can, you exactly. Yeah. Like I forget what, uh, there's just like this famous saying, it's like when you're young, you are afraid that everyone's going to steal your ideas. And when you're old, you're afraid that no one will. Yeah. No. It's, and it's like, there's, if everybody had a good idea, we'd all have, and it could convert transition into actual monetary without doing anything. Everybody would be rich. Exactly. We all have one good idea. It's in our the lifetime. execution. Exactly. And if, if they don't have the time either, a lot of these people that run businesses, they also don't think they have the time. They're wearing eight hats. They exactly. need your help. They need exactly. someone to run the ads and they have a million problems. They don't need to learn how to run Facebook ads. Exactly. And then like you said, when you add that other external value out of not running just paid ads of like, Hey, this is how we can maybe improve your conversion rate on your website. Hey, this is maybe something you should try for um, putting this above the fold on your website. Those little things They'll, he'll be like, oh, oh, I didn't really th think of that one. And Nick doesn't just run my ads now. He's also giving me actionable advice for my well, different areas business. Of business. Yeah. yeah. Hey, so I got a question for you because there is, there's, you know, there's clients all across the spectrum. So there's, there's some clients, they'll literally be like in ads manager, <laughs> like looking at like what lookalike you're running and what your yeah. exclusions are, right? There's that one end of the spectrum. Yeah. And then there's the other end of the spectrum where you're like, they haven't logged into Facebook in like six months. Since they don't know what I'm running. Exactly. They're just looking at the report. Like, do you like, do you like one or the other? Do you like in the middle? Do you not really care? Uh, I, I don't like people that are in the account every single day yeah. as the business owner because yeah, because if you look in, if you live and die by your one day that you're looking at, holy hell, you are going to be just getting calls after calls after calls. Yep. I like to tell clients, I'm like, Hey, if you're going to go in the account, look at it always on a seven day period. If it's shit over a seven day period, that warrants a call. Yeah. I'm fine with hearing it from them. But one day bad results. You're like, yeah, don't, don't just, don't just give me millions of things to do just off one bad day. But and it's I almost do... worse if they know like a little, uh, just enough about the ads manager. And yeah. then like, maybe they've heard from like a Facebook rep, you know, and they're like asking you like, yeah. Hey man, I noticed that you just reset the learnings with your surf message yesterday. <laughs> We're not getting 50 conversions. What's going yeah. on? I'm like, well, your CPA is on fire. So let's just yeah. focus on that. Um, yeah. But I do definitely say I, I hate the clients that never look at it because those to me are the people that will never make those quick changes to be like, all right, let's test this. Let's test yeah, we're that. Like they have no idea what's going on. So they don't like see the importance of like, we need a new landing page now exactly, you know, or your performance is going to be on a slip and slide. Yeah. So if I have somebody that's just in the account, at least like maybe once a month and even if he doesn't know what's going on, but he sees, this is where my spend is. This is the ROAS. If it's not where you want it to be, we have to change something. Yeah. And then those people are more in tune usually to be like, okay, 
if I'm suggesting you a landing page, they'll be like, all right, what's the fastest way we can get this done so you can do your work? Or they'll be working to get like UGC for you because you're like, hey, man, we got no video in here. Exactly. We got stale ads. We need new stuff. If they're like in there and they see it too. Yeah. And I, and I like that too because then also you can almost get them to invest a little bit in your philosophy, like how mm -hmm. you run ads or how you look at things. Because that's one thing is like when I first started, I really like personalized performance where like I took way too much pride in great results and way too much same depression. Same in the I results. still do that. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's part of if you care going back to what we talked about in the beginning, like if you care enough about people's performance, like, you, like it's your money, then those will happen. Of, yeah. That's why a lot of people stay. So you will have feel good and feel bad. But one thing I've like started to learn is like how to just like tell a story with the numbers and the story is good or bad, but it's like not used. Like a big thing that I've been, like showing people, especially those like newer accounts that are really like, we just signed this brand new uh, account that sells these like really cool drinks. Mm -hmm. um, and we ran our first week of results and he, he was asking, okay, like, how is it? And I basically was like, okay, Hey, we have a 1.8% click through rate. Like that's good. Like people are interested. They're yep. clicking the cost per clicks a little bit high. It's probably because we're a new account. It's going to go down. And also as we get better with targeting, maybe it'll go down, but sometimes cost per clicks are just high based on your demo. But then I say, what I'm seeing right now is we got a dollar fifty cost per click, but we got a thirty dollar cost per add to cart. So it's like you know one out of twenty people that are, are clicking adding. or adding cart, and I'm like, that's where we're starting to have an issue. Is the ratios there? So yes. I'm like, what what can we learn from that? Okay, well they're clicking on the website, but they're not adding to cart. It could be an offer issue. It could be a landing page issue. It could be the ads aren't fully educating them on where they're going. Yeah. But I think once you start, if they are in the account, they're looking a little bit and you can show the no numbers and tell a little bit of a story, then that story isn't your performance. That's what's happening in the yes. ecosystem. Yes. And then there, it's less about like, you know, oh, like get the results better. And it's more about like, okay, now we know where Why we this the needle. is happening. Exactly. Yeah. And then they yeah. buy in and they'll work on their end to get you what you need. Exactly. I actually had one client who would always ask me, it's like, okay, cause I used to be the guy that'd be like, all right, this is what your numbers are saying right now. But I wouldn't tell the story. He'd be like, yeah. what is the story that's happening in my ad account? So I had yeah. to like learn that scramble. And I'm like, okay, well yeah. this, this means this is going like this. Consumers are off acting like this because X reason for a click through rate. Yep. Consumers are acting like this because AOV may be too small yep. and we might need, or too high. Maybe or that's you have why a no big, fee. you have a big drop off from add to cart to, to purchase. purchase because you're trying to charge $10 for shipping. Exactly. It needs to be five. And like, as soon as I started learning that, like you said, it was just like clients like you also mentioned, wouldn't put it on me. It'd be more so, how can we go about fixing this? How can yeah. we change our narrative now yeah. instead of how can we change the ad buyer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's pretty much it. Um, I don't have any more questions for you, actually. My, my whole uh, cue card's empty now. Sweet. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. It ran a little bit longer than we kind of initially asked for, but I appreciate your, your, all your time, man. It's been yeah. wonderful. I'll be looking out for everything on Twitter from you. Yeah, same. And I mean, it's great to finally, you know, connect and, and talk to each other a little bit more. Exactly. Uh, I'm sorry you had to see the old fucking man bun, but I oh, haven't hey, been able it, to get a snip on the old hair. I had my, uh, my, my wifey cut my hair. And I mean, it was hilarious because I, uh, we, we had like a normal like clipper thing. Yeah. Um, but the, the charge runs out like 
two thirds of the haircut. I kid you not. I had to go get my Norelco one blade. Oh. And she finished my hair off with the beard trimmer. And the funniest thing is when someone else is cutting your hair and you don't, know they're doing, I don't know why my mom used to do this. And now my wifey, this nervous laugh, like you'll hear this like buzz and then you'll hear a nervous laugh and you're like, what did you, like, did you just take my hair off? Like, you know, what the hell happened? Yeah, man. I had, I had my girlfriend do the sides. Holy shit. Yeah. I have never I mean, seen some. The size is really need with like the gentleman's cut. Yeah, I I I've never seen so many streaks though. I'm like, hey. Oh yeah. Even pressure. You look like a basketball player. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you got like the little lines in. Yeah. I mean, I used to go to, like, Yeah, and like New York City, I used to go to like different barbers. Some of the barbers like, you know, you want the line in? Like, come on, it'll be yeah. cool. And I'm like, no, man. <laughs> I think I'm gonna pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, do it for your other guys, but like for me, you know, I'm gonna just a casual cut. Yeah, but yeah, oh man, that's hilarious. So yeah, well, on that bombshell on bad haircuts and my <laughs> essentially my haircut, uh, we'll leave it there, guys. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Nick. Uh, it's been a pleasure to listen and uh, learn from you. Yeah, same.